Hello and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is October the 11th, 2023. My name is Frank. His name is Alex. And today we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Mr. Charles Goldberg. Charlie, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I wish it could have been uh, under uh, different circumstances, obviously. Uh, but uh, I wanted to start by asking how you're doing, how your family's doing, how your community's doing, how uh, everybody's holding up. Honestly, horrendously. Um, it, horrendously, you know, it's I'll, I'll, here's the here's the way of putting it. You know, my my rabbi very famously says that the greatest achievement of mankind is the capacity to bear opposites simultaneously, right? And so, in life, there are so many times that. We have to bear both joy and sadness simultaneously. And I, I think if we're going to encapsulate the way that the Jewish community feels right now, I, I think that's pretty much where we are. We've just suffered the bloodiest day in Jewish history since the times of the Holocaust. While simultaneously we are bonding together, we are closer to Judaism and to Torah um, than probably ever before. And so, I mean, the unity feels really good. The hope feels very good. We have a lot of hope and faith that, you know, in our soldiers, in our people, um, in our resilience. At the same time, we are absolutely devastated over the loss of the 1,200 people who passed away and of the over 200 people who are kidnapped and currently being held against their will behind uh, enemy lines in Gaza. Now, could you give us some background on how we got to the initial attack? I was hoping you'd ask. Okay, so it's, <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually really interesting. So, you know, the basically since the beginning of, and by the way, I mean, I, I can tell you this, I, I've worked and interacted with a lot of uh, pro-Palestinian individuals, and they have this very nasty habit of leaving out very important details historically, okay? So everything that I'm saying could absolutely be validated, verified if you open a history book. It's not horrendously difficult to do, um, but in a real nutshell, Israel became a state in 1948 officially, but there were always Jews living in the territory. Um, basically, there was a, a guy, uh, Theodore Herzl, who had a dream that, you know, Jewish people should, you know, fully reestablish Israel, our, our biblical homeland. And there was always a presence of us there. It's just, you know, with his dream and the Balfour Declaration of 1911, um, this brought a lot of Jewish people back. Um, at the time, uh, Israel-Palestine, uh, so it was called, uh, was a British mandate. And ultimately what ended up happening, I mean, it was under British control. So, I mean, one of the arguments that Palestinians make is they say, oh, you stole our land. There was never a time that that area of land was other, under Palestinian sovereignty. There has never been a Palestinian king. There's never been a Palestinian government there. That's never actually happened. Okay. Mm. So at, like you could go through the history books, please inform me differently. If, if you find something, I've never seen that. Okay. Because it doesn't exist. So the thing is, is that ultimately there, there have been countless times where Jews have extended peace to Palestinians. We've traded land. My, my wife is an Israeli soldier. Um, she served in the 2005 Gaza pullout. We literally left, like we pulled out of a large strip of Israel, which is by the way, only the size of New Jersey. And, and we handed it over to the Palestinians with everything that they need, with infrastructure, with everything that they needed to get started, with businesses, uh, a, a flower business, um, herb businesses. We just handed them the greenhouses. We gave them everything. The same day that they took over, they burnt everything down and soon after elected Hamas, a, a terrorist militant group, to be their leaders. Unfortunately, even you know when we funded the, the Palestinian people and gave them funding through what's called uh, UNWRA, UNRWA, I don't even know if you say it like that, but it's like the, these are United Nations dollars that went to educating school, that went to schools that ultimately radicalized children. There are countless stories, and again, a simple Google search re reflects this, that children have been uh, basically told to be radicals. They've been radicalized in these schools for decades. So basically what's happened, and you know, now just to skip forward to the last, like, I don't know, 20 years, basically what ends up happening is Palestinians aggress toward us, the Jewish people. Um, they do something heinous. Like I, I remember when I was living in Chicago, uh, there were three Jewish boys who were kidnapped. Um, they were murdered and their bodies were left in a field. And then that began a Jeez. war. But it ultimately started with their kidnap. And ultimately what any Palestinian will tell you is because we stole their land, but they never had land to steal. And also, we're not trying to take land from them. The, the thing is, is that we want to live in peace with Palestinians. Living in Israel right now are over a million Arab people who have better freedoms in Israel than almost anywhere else, which is unbelievable. 
So, I mean, I, I could tell you that without a doubt, we want peace with the Palestinians. We do. But there are limits to everything. And so ultimately what ended up happening here, and it was, it was pretty crazy, the attack began, first of all, stories, studies, research has shown that this attack was actually planned for over a year. I, it was a major oversight wow. on the Israeli military. I have no idea because usually they're very good at staying on top of this stuff. I have no idea. And we're actually still trying to figure out how, like, what level of oversight this was. We're still trying to figure out what happened exactly, how this was so badly overlooked. But basically, well, it was a multi-front attack that was planned. Okay, there were 1,500 Palestinian terrorists that came into uh, Israel in both land, air, and sea. They, they came in um, through paraglider, um, through the sea. They broke through the walls. They attacked tanks. Um, they started out attacking, you know, Israeli uh, IDF, like, installments, which, okay, fine. But they came in with the intent to murder civilians, so they first found that there was a music festival that was being held in the desert. Um, for And by the way, this whole thing also, we should mention, was a coordinated attack specifically on a Jewish holiday, a holiday that not many non-Jews know about called Sukkot, where basically Jews build a bunch of huts in their yards, and then you shake a bunch of branches and a $50 Italian lemon inside the hut. But it's a big <laughs> holiday. It's considered to be the most gotcha. joyous time of year. I'm happy to tell you all about it. I know that sounds really bonkers, and it is really bonkers, but it is a big Jewish holiday. They scheduled this on the holiday when people would be with their families that, you know, even soldiers are at home. They're not really on the front lines during that holiday. They knew it was the perfect time to attack, but how terrible to even attack people when they're at their most vulnerable. So they came into this music festival and they unleashed a hellfire of bullets. They, they kidnapped un, an unbelievable number of people there that when they found the field, there were 200 bodies that were there. People escaped by lying under dead bodies. It was unbelievable. Women were publicly raped. They were decapitated. They were burnt alive. There's the images that are coming out of there are unbelievable, and I'm happy to share them with you because if you, if you are crazy, and I, I do believe this, I don't think it's a crazy thing. I think it's very important, especially for non-Jews, to look terror and evil in its face. If you want to see these images, they're on Instagram. They are on Telegram. They're everywhere. But I encourage everyone to look. Look at the face of evil understand what we are up against. And basically, this uh, projected into the Israeli kibbutzim, these um, communities basically where people live kind of a more socialist life. They're all living together, trying to support one another. They went into houses and they murdered entire families. Now, in the United States, you know, I own weapons, thank God. Uh, Israel does not really have a Second Amendment like we do. Um, no one owns weapons who's outside the army. These were completely innocent and defenseless people that they targeted. They found yesterday there were 40 decapitated children that they found in one of these, uh, in, in one of these communities. Okay, uh, you can see the images. This is not me talking wildly. It is the most grotesque, vile thing I have ever seen in my life. So basically all of this unfolded. And of course, everyone asked, where is the Israeli army? Basically, it's come out that Iran basically did a major cyber attack on the Israeli Defense Forces. They were unable to respond in time as a result of this. So the whole thing spiraled. Now, I could tell you that as of yesterday, Israel is finally back under its own control because the terrorists, there were about 1,500 terrorists that came in. They had taken control of three cities. Now it's down to zero. But they have found 1,500 terrorists came in. They came in, a, a video was released this morning with the intent to rape women and children. I could send you the video, by the way. It's, it's all over the internet. Okay, they came in with the, wow. that intent. So it's devastating. It is the bloodiest day in Jewish history. But now we are responding. And the problem is, is that the entire world very frequently tells Israel, they hold Israel to some high, unlevel, un unreasonable moral regard. And, and, you know, I'll tell you something. What, what is prejudice? When we hold a group of people to a different standard than everybody else, that is prejudice. Okay. At the end of the day, when there is an atrocity like this, there is a payback for it. And that is exactly what's happening. And so ultimately, it's terrible for there to be any innocent lives lost. At the same time, Israel has full right to respond um, with full force for what's, what's occurred. And we are about, they're, they're saying over the next 48 hours, a ground invasion of Gaza will begin because we still have 200 hostages that need to be rescued. So things are very dire right now. My community is reeling. 
I'm, I'm a therapist. I talk about feelings all day long. I have struggled to work tremendously. Um, it is a truly devastating time, but at the same time, it's a time where Jews need to unite and when people need to unite because the only way we beat hatred is by uniting, by coming together and by standing together. A lot was said right there. I guess time permitting, I would like to unpack a lot of it, but, there, but I, do, I do have one one question that I think of is course. kind of central to the response to, to what happened. Hamas being the, I would say, quote unquote, elected uh, government of Gaza, you know, we, yeah. we had we had an election here a couple of years ago that, that we couldn't even agree, agree on that yeah. happened, uh, uh, rightfully. So I, I, I hesitate to say that it was a free and fair election to, to, to elect the, the, uh, the Hamas terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Is Hamas synonymous with Palestinians worldwide? My unfortunate answer would be yes. And I'm not just going to make an answer like that without offering a tremendous amount of evidence. Okay. And so the biggest evidence more than anything is that uh, unfortunately, so it's a few things. First of all, you know, if there are individuals who don't like their government, they have the capacity to overthrow their government. Okay. Like that is the thing that people do. We've seen this in South America. We've seen it in Egypt literally over the last 10 years. Okay. This isn't an unreasonable thing. It's not. Okay. And it's not like these people aren't armed. Okay. In fact, they, they have been given so much support. The Palestinian people have been given so much unbelievable support that the fact that they haven't overthrown the government is quite concerning. Where I really find the concern is this. So, you know, there are several Jewish organizations that actually care more about Palestinian rights than Israeli rights. The examples of this are Jewish Voice for Peace, um, B'Tselem. There are loads of organizations where Jewish people are trying to take care of Palestinians. There is not a single organization worldwide of Palestinian people who are dedicated to trying to take care of Jews, of trying to protect Jews, of trying to advocate for Jews. Now, I will tell you, there are some Palestinians who have stood up. And by the way, those people are well known because they are great outliers. Just because a few Palestinians stand up and they're willing to say for Jews, a handful, that is not the zeitgeist. That is not the national ideology. So I, I unfortunately hate to say this, but when we look at the radicalism that's happening in the schools, when we are looking at all of these terrible things that that are happening, these people turned into monsters somewhere, okay? And don't forget that, you know, Gaza has existed since 2005. It's always been 20 years. So children who showed up in Gaza, they hated Israel. They hated Israel before they had Gaza, okay? At the end of the day, what we are seeing right now is a result of hatred that has been taught and preached within that society for decades. And again, there is countless amounts of evidence in this because we have constantly extended land for peace. We have constantly tried to come to the negotiation table and constantly have been rejected. So yes, I do believe that, 100%. You mentioned earlier that Israel is um, interested in peace with Palestinians. There's a limit to that, though. I think we were interested in peace. I don't think we're interested anymore. When you murder, when you murder this many of us, when you injure this many of us, when you when you do this to us, when we've come to you constantly trying to ask for peace, I think it's the end. I really do. So, so when you say the end, and and this is getting into some territory that that has caused me a, a little bit of pause, and this particularly comes mm-hmm. from American politicians, that Hamas. Mm-hmm needs to be ended. Yes. Uh, but we just talked absolutely. about how ha- Hamas is also synonymous with, if not all, then the majority of Palestinians. It's a very big problem. It's tr- it's tricky. And, and it seems as though there is unlimited goodwill at the hands of the state of Israel right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States had unlimited goodwill when we went through something similar with 9-11. And I think that we squandered that goodwill in yeah. uh, the, the most devastating way possible. So in, in your mind, what does a effective response look like? That's a really good question. I'll tell you, you know, by the way, the situation in Israel is actually a super easy uh, thing to understand. And it's actually super easy to fix. And it's shocking to me that people don't look at evidence in front of them to fix it. It's a really simple thing. The biggest problem with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, honestly, is that Jews and Palestinians live separately. That's the biggest problem because it's just like blacks and whites in the United States. We hated each other until we started living together. When we started living together and playing on the same teams and like talking and communicating, everything turned okay. Right now in Israel, it's very separate. Now it's separate because unfortunately they've killed us. You know, when we built that border wall around Gaza, terrorism in Israel decreased by 85%. That's significant. 
Okay. But I, I can tell you that I think, it, to be honest with you, what I, I think should happen is I would love to see what would happen if a generation of Jews and Palestinians lived together. If they lived together, if they interacted together, if they got to know each other, that would be, bring peace. That would bring peace. That would be the thing. And by the way, I'll tell you something. There are glimpses of this in Israeli society. There are certain cities where it is more blended and they are peaceful cities. We see this in the Israeli government, okay? There is a Palestinian party in the government, okay? They're the third, there are eight political parties in Israel. The third largest one is the Palestinian one. And while plenty of times they are spewing hatred, okay, there are times where even in the previous government and even somewhat to the extent of this government, now they've just formed a unity government. Even there was a thing put out yesterday by an Arab MK, by by an Arab politician yesterday, basically saying that in Islam, we don't kill women, we don't kill children. They are against Hamas, which is a rarity. This is, this is a rare thing that's happening. There is a possibility for change. The problem is, is that they've crossed a line that's too far. So what I personally think, what I personally think, is it possible? Yes. Is it, is it going to be difficult? 100%. Because the, what ultimately needs to happen among the Palestinian people is A, they need to recognize that they've been brainwashed. And B, more importantly, they need to learn to interact with us. And I'll tell you something, there is, there with, and of course, there are always going to be exceptions. But when we look at the national zeitgeist of Israel, when we look at the general ideology of 99% of Jews in Israel, not including outliers, but when we look at most Jews, most Jews want peace. Most Jews want peace. We don't want to fight. We just want to live our lives. What I will tell you, a lot of talk is about the the uh, two-state solution. I think that's a horrendous idea because that further divides people. Furthermore, if there was a Palestinian state that became official, how many Jews get to live freely there? Zero. And by the way, this is the other question, you know, talking beyond Palestine, let's look at other Muslim-majority countries. Let's look at Lebanon. How many Jews live there? Let's look at Sudan. How many Jews live there? Let's look at Morocco. How many Jews live there? Egypt. How many Jews live there? We are constantly accused of ethnic cleansing when where are the Jews in these countries? Where are they? They have been ethnically cleansed. We are not simply doing the same thing that they've done. We have gone constantly out of our way to support them, to give them opportunity. Israel literally gives them food, water, and electricity. We've since cut that, that off since this operation. But for the last, since 1967, we have given them free water, free food, and free electricity. We are trying to do our best to take care of these people, and they reject everything that we offer them. They want nothing. They shout at these rallies that I'm attending, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That is a call for complete and utter decimation genocide of the Jewish people. That is what they are calling for. And this is how it's always been in Australia. Even last night, three nights ago, they were screaming, gas the Jews, 400 Palestinian supporters. The face of anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Do not get it confused. This is blatantly clear. In a rally in New York City that happened three days ago, there was a man displaying a swastika, okay? Which is, by the way, the zeitgeist. It is the actual ideology of most of these individuals. They are standing for a group of people who in their charter says we are trying to decimate, not Israelis, the Jewish people, the Jewish people. So if you are protesting in, in stance of Hamas, of the Palestinians, you are standing for terrorism. That's what you're standing for. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And unfortunately, the biggest problem is a lot of these people aren't even informed about what they're standing for. They're just following like sheep. You know, I saw a picture, it was actually hilarious, of like people holding up Palestinian flags upside down. They don't even know how the flag is supposed to go, for God's sake, you know? Oh, if I, I would tell everyone, especially if you are removed from the situation, the smartest thing you can do is educate yourselves. Everyone needs to be educated. I, I haven't agreed with everything that you've said here, but I certainly agree with that. I think the amount of ignorance of, is shocking. It really is. A lot of people have kind of uh, uh, yeah. sh sh showed who they are in the past few days. And Absolutely. To shift the conversation to something that 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 is not what happened by preaching for for freedom for for Palestine, I think I think is just uh, it, it really has sh shown a lot of colors. So you know, as an outsider, somebody who's looking at this from a from a sober point of view. Myself, I'm not Jewish. Absolutely. Never been to Israel. Here's what I'm saying. I'm seeing a catastrophic failure of the Israeli security state. From what I understand, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his uh, and his conservative government have ran on the premise that they protect their own. That facade has been has been kind of shattered. And so, Absolutely. And so now now we know, uh, you know, w without really any doubt that, that Iran was behind uh, the attacks, at least in in funding it. And Israel as a as a power uh, now has 
has one option, uh, one of two options, to do nothing and remain looking like a paper tiger or to retaliate. Here's what concerns me as an outsider, mm -hmm. uh, is that there is equal, maybe not equal, but there certainly has been uh, rhetoric that borders on genocidal talk and a retaliation on both for sides. what happened. And correct. No, correct. Okay. So I think that's important to identify on both sides. And and what happened seems to justify a reaction that is uh, as strong as can possibly be. Yes. And I think that that means a lot, lot more innocent mm -hmm. death. And I think that violence beget violence. And so I struggle to see where the peace comes from. So I'll tell you this, what I personally think is going to happen, what I personally think is going to happen, I, I believe that Israel is going to retake Gaza. I, I think that there will be tremendous amounts of loss of life on both sides. But what I also believe and what I, I hope for is that if radicalism is rooted out of Gaza, I do believe it will be a step closer towards peace. Like I told you, I think the solution, and we've seen this in other countries, when people live together, they become more peaceful. When they're separated and then fed all kinds of nonsense from governments and things like that, that's when problems happen. I do believe that if Israel retakes Gaza and if they're able at least to root out any sense of radicalism, there is a stronger potential of peace. There is a stronger potential of peace. And we, there have been losses on both sides. And unfortunately, I, I can tell you this, I, I don't believe in fact, that Jews have called for genocide really of ever, ever. And by the way, I would even say right now, what I can tell you, though, is I think Jews are very fed up with being bombed and killed. Because also, I didn't mention the, like, over the last 20 years, no less than 50,000 rockets being dropped on Israel. And these rockets are launched towards civilians indiscriminately. You can't even aim these rockets, by the way. The rockets take $300 to build. The rocket system that we have, the Iron Dome, to protect us from these rockets, which, you know, murder people. Each rocket that we have to launch in order to protect against these $300 rockets is about thirty thousand mm. dollars so you have to understand you don't like typical people and i mean this is what i would say to the palestinian people don't mess with people who are stronger than you and not only don't mess with people who are stronger than you but like extend peace to them if there's a person who's bullying me the smartest thing i could do is try to make peace with that person if i don't feel capable of overcoming them and no one should ever be caught in that situation. But I, I could tell you, unfortunately, the reason why the Palestinian like people are in the situation that they're in is because they've been terrorists in the past. I was born in Israel. I was born in Israel. I left when I was five because of the second intifada. The, the bus that my mom and I used to ride in Tel Aviv, there was a terrorist who went on that bus, blew himself up and murdered 54 people. There's a response for that. You don't get to kill innocent civilians and then just we shrug our shoulders at it. There is a response and we're not going to have a restrained response anymore. And our response always was restrained. Our response always was restrained to the extent that whenever we would bomb a building in, in the Gaza Strip, in Palestine, whatever you want to call it, we would have a knocker, which a knocker is allowed. It's, it's not it's a non-lethal explosion, basically. It's like a it's like a, a flashbang, basically. We would drop a flashbang on the building 15 to 20 minutes before we would bomb it, letting everyone know we're going to bomb this building. Now, is that a smart idea from a, a war side? Terrible idea from a war side. You're supposed to kill the bad guys. But because we're worried about civilians, that's what we did. There have been countless missions. I mean, my wife was involved in the Gaza pullout. There have been countless missions where Israelis have basically said, we're not doing this because we don't want to kill civilians. The problem is, is that the Palestinians target civilians. That's the issue. If they were just going after the IDF, I would, I mean, it's still terrible, but I, I wouldn't be this emotional about it. When you target civilians, that's never acceptable. Yeah, no, it, it, so, you know, I, I, again, outsider's point of view, I, I take a lot of this in from, from social media channels, and I, I think I've seen one of two responses. One has been, uh, you know, uh, the, the immediate defense of uh, Palestinians, and, uh, you know, again, I think those people are kind of showing their true colors. There's no defense for, for what happened in, 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 in any way that you feel. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the, the, there is the tough question to, to wrestle with because it, it, is, it is now a question of, uh, you know, how many people get killed. Not, not, necessar not necessarily if, yeah. if they do, but, but it is how many. And now yeah, I, I, I think, 100% right. 100% I, I, I think, uh, I really do think that Palestine sealed their fate when, you know, the way I see it was that they, they had a, a, a bunch of radicalized, low IQ, incredibly impulsive terrorists jump the fence, particularly in this, in this music festival that, that they attacked. And they saw young, 
beautiful women and they could not help themselves. And as soon as they started raping women, I think is really when they sealed their fate. In the history of Israel, okay, we have had many, many, uh, unfortunately, we've had many attacks in our history. And right. I can tell you in the history of Israel, and no matter, even if you want to criticize the IDF and say, oh, they're killing Palestinians, never has an IDF soldier raped a Palestinian woman. Okay, that's never happened. There has never been a time that an IDF soldier has decapitated children in mass. That's never happened. Okay, this is that that has never occurred in Israeli history ever. And by the way, I'll also tell you one thing that I think is also important to mention. When we talk about the zeitgeist, when we talk about the national ideology, because again, I am speaking in generalities here. Okay, I, I think the thing that's very important to take into consideration there are three Western religions. There's Christianity, there's Islam, there's Judaism. In the history of the world, there has never been a single person put to death for refusing to convert to Judaism, okay? Mm. In the history of the world, Christians can't say that, Muslims can't say that, okay? We, I'm a therapist. I think about psychology. I think about ideology. A lot of radical Islam is all about conversion. It's about forcing views and values upon people. It's very, very unfortunate because that's where the radicalism comes from. At the end, and by the way, we see it elsewhere too. Okay, that, like this, this exists. There, there are certain common truths in this situation to other situations that have to be paid attention to. We, th that's why I say, if we really want a solution for this, there has to be a, a a a waking up. People need to know the information. We cannot just blindly follow what's going on here. We have to look at, open a history book. It's not terribly difficult to do. It's not. Terribly difficult to see, especially within the age of the internet. And if you if you just read, you know, you, you you could very easily see this. I think the problem is with most Jewish people, and this is really what what I think serves against us. Most Jewish people are really scared. Most Jewish people are very scared, and I don't just mean that in the situation. I mean in general, mm. they are very afraid to get in trouble. They're very afraid to have a strong voice and a loud voice. Okay, I remember when I was in Chicago, you know, there there was a, a pro-Palestinian protest. You know how many Jews showed up to that protest that had 15,000 Palestinians? You know how many Jews showed up to that? Two, me and my wife. That was it. Most Jews are very scared. They don't really have a voice. They're very intimidated because, again, they have much greater numbers than us. There are only 15 million Jews on the face of the planet, okay? There are several billion, uh, I think it's like th two or three billion Muslims in this world. It's very scary for us. It's very intimidating. I think as a result of that, Jews don't have great PR. We don't, we never have. And to be honest with you, in trying to stay safe, we're pretty insular. I think a lot of Jews have tried to keep to themselves. They're trying to keep their heads down. They're trying not to show themselves to anyone. And as a result of that, it's it's heavily played against them. We would like to say thank you for being on here, providing some valuable insight. And uh, I, I definitely think uh, as level-headed as a, as a response as you can get from uh, somebody who's, uh, you know, uh, directly affected by what's been happening in Israel uh, over the past few days. So thank you, man. Thank you. And it's so good to see you. And guys, I have to tell you, I love your podcast. You guys do great work and your conversations are, are very, very valuable. I, I hope you, I hope you continue with a lot of strength. Want to talk about Trevor Bauer. Oh yeah. He, he was the pitcher that got in trouble for like beating the fuck, like sexually abusing or something. Yeah. I mean, he was accused of basically like having sex with a girl and donkey punching her and Ooh. Just like all of the things that if you're accused of, you know, it's like, it's terrible. Yeah. So all these accusations came out immediately. The team that he, that he pitches for the Dodgers cut him, cut ties with him completely. And because he was going through a bunch of legal things, he couldn't speak on it. He couldn't say what he thought about it. He basically had to go through the entire legal process with his mouth shut. On top of that, there's like a bunch of people who piled on uh, on top of him based purely on the accusations alone. One of them is somebody I actually I respect and 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 read a lot, uh, Peter Heyman. Uh, he he writes for the New York Post. He's real big on Twitter when when it comes to baseball breaking news. And he basically was like, "Yeah, good riddance, fucker. Like we don't want you anyways." Hmm. This, this, that, and the other, the Athletic, another publication that I really respect and read a lot. Uh, I think they put out a lot of really good journalism. They had a journalist whose name is escaping me at the moment reported that the woman in question making these allegations against Trevor Bauer had like a fractured skull. And at the time of reporting, they had medical records that could disprove that she had uh, a fractured skull. She didn't have a fractured skull ever. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, everything she said was basically a lie. Yet this guy got canceled. His MLB career is probably ruined. He got a two and a half year ban from pitching in, in Major League Baseball based on their 
code of conduct policy and began pitching in in Japan. He sent out a, a video after all of the legal process had run its course and everything was finished. And he basically was like, yeah, this chick lied about everything. She had text messages that we found in discovery that basically had her admitting that she was coming for my money and was texting other people about how to get my money, how the best way to do it was, mm. and had a video the morning after the alleged abuse where she allegedly got punched and, and whatnot, um, where she was in his bed, he was sleeping with a sleep mask on and she was like smirking and smiling, whatever. Face was fine. There was absolutely nothing wrong with her at all. So it looks like this chick completely made this up. Now, Trevor Bauer has the means to defend himself in this instance, but he had to sue her and then she countersued. And the reason he sued her was only so that he could go through the process of discovery so he could get all of the information that, that was being withheld from him about this case. Basically, he spent like $3 million to not pay her half a million and clear his name. Jeez. Could he still sue for damages after the fact or like now? That's... Well, there's no way that she could pay him for any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have the money to give him the money that she, she cost him. So he was in like a, a contract here and she, I mean, she cost him untold tens of millions of dollars. Because, yeah, he was like one of like the, not the best maybe, but like a top 10 picture, pitcher at He the was time. up there. Yeah. He was up there. Now, this guy has kind of a history of being a sleazeball and is like, I, from, from what I can tell, is not like well-respected uh, or, or well-liked in the locker rooms that he's been in. Uh, used to pitch for the, the Cle then Cleveland Indians. He won a Cy Young with the Cincinnati Reds in 2020. You know, 2020 Cy Young is the same thing as a 2020 championship, right? Like whatever. We will always disagree on that. You know, he, 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 yeah, he's a great pitcher yeah. and would have had a, a team. Somebody would have picked him up and would have, he would have pitched for a team and would have got paid a lot of money to do it. Uh, instead, he had to get cut. He had to go play in Japan and he had to like be silenced for two years. And I, I think I bring all this up that the signal and all this noise here is that there absolutely needs to be penalties in place for women or men or anybody who makes false allegations against somebody committing a crime as heinous as sexual assault and costing this person their entire career, their livelihood. I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bridge too far to say that, that the, the penalties for something like this are, are tantamount to what he would be uh, subject to if he was convicted for these. Like jail time-wise? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it should be tantamount to raping somebody. That's the punishment that it, that, that, that should, it should be equalized to. Because not only did you ruin this guy's career, but you also made light of all the people who have gone through legitimate sexual abuse and rape. And you basically said, oh, I'm going to take your situation and I'm going to capitalize on it because it seems to be something that uh, I can get away with. So I'm going to fake what happened to uh, you know, thousands of other girls, legitimately women, and I'm going to use it to extract money from this professional athlete. I mean, it's just like the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. Maybe I could get behind like half the sentence, half to maybe three quarters. But like crying wolf, I wouldn't say is, a, is akin to being forcefully held down and raped, you know, like as far as what the punishment should be. She raped this guy of his career. Yeah. Yeah. Got, yeah, got, she took it away from him. She did. See, I mean, like but, she I mean, had the power single-handedly to fabricate a story mm -hmm. where she even made herself look like she got assaulted, put up makeup, gave out. herself black eyes and shit like that, and took this man to court. It's pretty thought out. It's fucked up. I'm not. I'm not justifying it. I'm just. Do crimes seem a little bit different to me? And and if if you're the MLB, I mean, of course they're different. Yeah, of course they're different. If you're the MLB. I don't, I don't necessarily even have an issue with them saying like, well, look, these allegations are pretty heinous. Uh, so we're going to suspend you uh, for, you know, however long or until your name gets cleared, what have you. I mean, wh whatever they're saying. I, I, don't, I don't even have a problem with that because uh, you, at, at this point, you kind of have to take this woman at her word, right? But if there are no, if there's not a backstop there to, to this person just completely making this up and ruining this guy's career and forcing the hand of MLB and of John Heyman uh, to, to write Trevor Bauer off as this uh, sexual assaulter, as, a, a, as an abuser. I don't know, man. Yeah. To, to me, it's just like, it's just so, so wrong. So wrong. I would think that the players unions would have something. I mean, we live in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty. So like, I could understand them saying, okay, you're not going to represent the Dodgers or whoever you play for until we figure out what the fuck's going on. But like, you would, I would think it'd be like a suspended without pay. So that something mm -hmm. like this maybe wouldn't happen or, or with half pay or some kind of like agreement there to where like then you let the legal system play out and, and see what's up. But then like 
if this was all bullshit, because we've seen plenty of stories where these there were guys doing shit like this, you know, beating the fuck out of women in, in elevators and whatever, more in the NFL, really. But but we've also seen other stories where, just like Bauer, where he ends up being innocent and it was all kind of like a big ploy. And it's like, he should have probably still been getting paid during that time, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you tough. get paid at your job? Like if, if I got, if I got convicted of, of rape, like I don't, does your job even know? Like, do they get made aware? Like, would you keep working and just go to court? You know, like how would that work for a normal person? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Do you get arrested right away? I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm guessing it, it, I'm guessing it depends on, on how public of a accusation it is. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting, if you're getting tried for something as heinous as sexual assault or rape, you're going to be missing some time from work. Yeah, true, true. Like, you know, like, let, let's just say you make bail, you know, you have court dates, you have hearings, you have... Yeah, you're right, you're right. So I don't know, I, 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 I yeah, it's just, it's, it's just so, it's so gross. Mm-hmm. It's so gross. And and you said that, you know, guilty until, pro, until proven innocent, but that's only the, that's only the legal system. That's only, that's only our justice system. That has nothing to do with a private employer saying, well... That's true. I don't think we, I don't think we want you to be a part of the MLB while this is going on. Mm-hmm. And kick you right out. And shame on that reporter for saying that. I mean, w- with with the evidence to disprove what she reported, saying that she had a, you know, and like that. You, tell me that doesn't play into it. If you're if you're the MLB and somebody from the Athletic, who by all means is is still, an, you know, an, an incredibly reputable uh, journalistic institution when it comes to sports, they're very good. Coming out reporting that this woman had a fractured skull. Yeah. Can you go after them? And he is. He's he's suing the uh, the Athletic for misrepresenting that. But yeah, got to make that money up somehow. Yeah, Plus they did misrepresent. All right, what else? All you got? around. What gross. else you got? Um, I don't know, man. Everything seems kind of in- inconsequential right now. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, your home state, California. When you guys are dealing with crime through the roof, the worst drug epidemic possibly ever, and homelessness at like ridiculous levels, why are you guys focusing on additives that are found in foods like Skittles? You know, as extreme as. California can be on a lot of wacky stuff. I feel like they're not they're not extreme enough on this. Yeah, because I mean that's po- it's poison, and I'm 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 super for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You? Get it get it all out. I mean, I don't know why Skittles. We've stopped the Skittles. Well, it's it's not even the brand. It's like certain additives. They're going to ban them, and then right. they, they, all these companies have until uh, it's uh, January first, twenty twenty seven, to like alter their product. Which yeah, I guess and like with an economy as big as California's, it probably does encourage a lot of food manufacturers to go and, you know, look at their formulas and change them to make sure they can still sell in a state like Cali. But yeah, I got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, that's, it's an excellent policy and, and I, I don't think they've gone far enough. I, 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 you know, there was, there was a, I think it was a stand-up comic a long time ago. I forget who it was. It was talking about organic food and he was like, Hey, here's an idea. How about we just call organic food food? <laughs> And then we call everything else not food. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. But, but like that's how fucking warped and, and terrible the food is in this country that like we have, to, we have to label it organic. So it's just like, yeah, this is actual food that you're eating here. I wanted to ask the question that way because that is how uh, American actor and television host Mario Lopez posed the question on Twitter. Mm. And got, he got pushed back both ways, but it's interesting. You know, it's like this, uh, it's like this situation with, uh, the speaker of the house being vacant. You either fall into one of two camps. Uh, Politics is what you can get now. It is the choice in front of you, or you can be an ideologue about it and say, it's what I want to have. And then you can approach it that way. Uh, I see this as something that they could get done now and they did it right. You can't fix homelessness with the snap of a finger. But if you can pass legislation through that bans certain additives and foods that gets shit food off the shelves in California, then by all means, yeah, do it. Sure. And, and uh, you know, that, that I think that that's where people kind of get a little bit uh, skewed about what, what politics is and, 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 and why we get so riled up about it. Because it's like, it's not about what you want unless your name is Matt Gates. And you have the votes to, you know, throw a grenade into your own political party and just create a, a bunch of chaos. Because that's what, you know, that's the choice that was in front of Matt Gates when he did, when he decided to put a vote against uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy. Mm-hmm. But in, in him doing that, he's also being an ideologue. And he's saying, well, you haven't gone uh, far enough in spending to Ukraine. We, 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 we didn't want that spending. You haven't done anything about that. You've continued to approve uh, uh, spending for Ukraine. The, the final straw was... The, the deal that they worked with the Democrats to keep the government open for another like 60 days or something like that. So basically it was like, look, you're not, you're not going hard enough 
to the fiscal conservative minority that is in the House of Representatives that hold all the cards, basically, because they can do a deal with the Democrats and all they need is six votes because their, their margin in the House is so thin to basically do whatever they want. So he's saying, all right, well, this is what I want. And I'm tired of playing this game where politics is just the choice that's in front of me. And you have all these Republicans in the House who disagree with it, who are you know, fiscal hawks, some of the most fiscally conservative politicians that we have or have ever had uh, who disagreed with this move because they're of the of the camp that politics is uh, the choice that is in front of you. It's the decision that you can make now and you make concessions so that you can continue to move on and slowly move towards your goal or your Matt Gates and you're saying, no, I, I, that's not that's not what's happening. We are going to push for it now. And if it means uh, uh, if it means uh, some some hurt in the in the in the interim, then then so be it. I mean, also, the idea of politics, I, I would think, would be for the parties to work together. Like, I, I don't think McCarthy negotiating and working, going back and forth with the Democrats is, like, necessarily a bad thing. I, and I think you're in the majority in that camp. It would be from, from all sides. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I mean, and, and he's, he's proven himself to be a pretty solid deal maker. But, you know, you got somebody who's in charge of basically saying, or, you know, you got, you got somebody who's in the majority saying, hey, if, if this was on the other side and the Democrats were the majority, not only would they not work with the Republicans, but they would do everything in, the, in, in their power to push across legislation and, uh, and motions that they want to see happen, regardless of how radical that they are. And so basically he's saying, well, we're in that position and we're not using that power and why not? Mm-hmm. Why, are, why are we still being these centrists want to work with this person, want to work with that person? kind of thing. And he's saying, no, I want to uh, stop funding to Ukraine. I want to indict the attorney general and all these things that that, 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 that they want to get pushed across. And, and he's saying, no, this is what I want. And I have the power to make disruptions if, if we, if our, uh, basically if our demands are not met. A little childish, I think, maybe, but also, but also think about this, public opinion in the United States, unilaterally, doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, we're all pretty fed up about giving money to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. All of us, but not one person in the United States House or Senate is representative of the thoughts of the people. Shocker, right? <laughs> yeah, like that. You didn't see that coming. But think about it. Here's here, again. Here's a little the signal and, and all the noise that's going on. There were six Republicans who voted to throw McCarthy out from being Speaker of the House, and they did so on the grounds that their constituents are fed up with spending in Ukraine. That's, that's six people yeah. who have said, I'm going to now uh, uh, go against everybody else and, and represent my constituents for their voice. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a messy game, but, but uh, I thought that was an, a really interesting move. I mean, look, if you, if you surveyed anybody on the street, I mean, not even half the people know who the hell the vice president is. So nobody's going to know who the, the speaker of the house is. Uh, it, it, it affects daily life almost zero. Um, so it's not a huge deal that this guy got kicked out of the speakership, whatever. But given the given what is going on uh, globally, it, it, it now does make uh, a little bit more of uh, there's a little more pressure to find somebody to 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 fill that vacancy. Right. It has to be someone that's like like already in the house, right? Like no, it could be anybody. Oh, it can. Okay. Yeah, that's why Donald Trump's name is being floated. Oh. oh. So they they could elect Donald Trump speaker of the house. Holy shit! I didn't hear that. And then they could force uh, Biden and Kamala to resign, and he retakes the presidency. Wow, that's, that's very House of Cardsy, and that's not going to happen. But 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 yeah, I mean, anybody, you and I, anybody could be nominated for speaker. You do not have to be a member of Congress. Damn. Hmm. Yes, sir. There was a guy in New York City. Did you see that guy? He was like a the nine eleven mourner. No, what are you talking about? A dude yesterday at the nine eleven memorial, like jumped down like like 20 feet. Have you ever seen those reflecting pools? Have you ever been there? Uh-huh. They're, they're awesome. They're really cool. A, a mourner was like given special access to an area and like his own time to, to mourn a, a family member that he lost in 9-11. And he like jumped all the way down into the water, like, cause it's like a big square waterfall. And then it, mm-hmm. it goes, there's like a kind of like a reflective pool. And then there's like an even in the middle, there's like an even further like square and like he jumped down, waded through the water, which is like knee high or so, and then just like laid at the edge of this like other wow. thing and just looked down like crying, sobbing. Um, they put him into custody, but I don't think they're going to like arrest him or anything just because like he, it wasn't just like a homeless dude that hopped into the pool and was doing weird shit. It was like mm. genuine grief. But yeah, I thought that's what you're talking about. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was, there was a guy, uh, this was last week. He was a, an activist. He was a super leftist, BLM to fund the police. And there was like a, a, like a maniac on the street wielding a knife. And this guy tried to go talk to him and he got stabbed to death. And 
you know, I, some people might see this as like a, a way to stomp on the guy's grave. This is certainly not it. And, and, and the fact that he advocated for such ridiculous policies and then got murdered by the same policies that he was advocating to me should be highlighted because like the irony aside, this man put, put it out into the, into the universe that, that there should be policies in place that, that he thought might help everybody and dissent against those policies at some times was seen as the wrong way to go mm. racist even and he was murdered by the same policies that he advocated for wow i think that should be i think there should be a lesson here that if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and you're saying things that you think make sense you don't understand the consequences of what you're doing particularly if you're an advocate for it if you're a public figure and you go out and you do the thing to make it so that these policies are driven forward you know i mean it, it sucks that he was killed I, I i hate it and there's video of it and he was just like basically was just trying to just tell the guy like yo yeah, relax chill out man and he said, okay, bah, 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 stabbed him, killed him, right? I mean, just like in cold blood, uh, early morning, New York City, uh, him and his girlfriend, both crazy leftists uh, and supported policies that, you know, I'm not saying would have saved his life, but imagine uh, you had, you know, more police officers and not just roaming the street, making sure this happened. Uh, you know, I don't know. And, and another thing here that I, I saw a lot of people commenting on, which is very true. If you're ever in a situation where it's you against somebody with a knife, run. Yeah. As fast as you can. You cannot defeat a knife. I mean, you can't. Unless you have Think like about- actual hand-to-hand combat training. Yeah. And even then, like, it, 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 yes, I mean, I, I, I would feel better. I, feel, but like, I see it in if, movies if you, all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, just think about like, uh, put, a, put a pen in your kid's hand and then play with him. Like, like you and him face to face in front of you and try and not get marked up with that pen. Try, you know, try and dodge that for a second. Now think about somebody with a knife. You, you, you're going to lose 10 times out of 10. You're going to lose. Don't ever confront somebody with a knife ever, 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 ever. Even if you have a gun. I remember I was talking with somebody and it was the most chilling thing I've ever heard up to that point. Uh, it was a, it was a, a ex girlfriend's stepdad and um, she wanted to show me all of his guns. This is big gun safe. And so she asked him if he could, sh- if he could show me and he showed me. And uh, I was like, wow, like, I was looking at them all and like completely like threw me off guard. I didn't ask him about any of this. He goes, if it's me against another man and he has a gun, I'll take a knife 10 times out of 10. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That sounds dumb like, as fuck to me. Uh, but it's no, but it's hundred percent true. How? Your likelihood of surviving. If, if it's me and you and we're face-to-face, on the street, in a room, whatever, you have a gun, I have a knife, the, the, the chances of me surviving that and you not are, are much higher. I don't I mean, what, what's, Statistically, what's, that, that's just true. Because you think like you think your aim is- a gunfight. What, what is that whole phrase about then? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it depends on the fight. But I mean, like one-on-one, gun and a knife, knife usually wins. And that's just what it is. Even if you're able to <laughs> shoot me, if you, don't, if you don't get me in my heart or in my head and I'm still able to move, you're fucked. You're going to get what? One shot off, maybe two, but by the time I, I reach you? I, no, I mean. And I'm not missing with a knife. I mean, it's just, <sighs> that's all it is. It's right there. I don't know, there. dude. I don't know. You get hit well, by a we bullet. We should test I think this you're, you're falling pretty far back, man. At that, especially I challenge if you're at you the, to a duel. The distance you're, you're referring to, if you get hit by a nine millimeter gun, which would probably have a clip of 12 or more, that could just keep going pop, 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 pop. I don't think a gun, a knife's going to do too much for you. I, maybe not. I don't know. We could test it. <laughs> I mean, like, think about it, like, think about it this way. Right, you have a gun. You're holding a gun. Mm-hmm. You don't have it in your hand. You're not aiming or nothing. For sure. You see me coming. I'm saying some some crazy shit, or I'm threatening you, or there was some altercation. Emotions are running high. We're heated, and I'm I'm walking towards you, and then I get and then I get aggressive. I'm pulling my gun out right then. Uh, yeah, and then I pull my knife out. That's fine. As soon as okay. you pull your knife no, out, sorry, I flip here's the what I'm saying. Go, doof, 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 doof. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, and maybe you're a good shot, but maybe you're not. That's, yeah. Maybe your adrenaline's running high and you, you miss. Mm-hmm. So that first shot miss. Great. Now, now I'm 50% closer to you than I was before that first shot. That second shot goes off. Maybe you hit me in my shoulder. Maybe you don't. I'm saying you would have to incapacitate me on the first shot, which is not likely to happen. And then make sure I don't stab you with my knife. Cause as soon as I stab you, you're done. You th- There's no way you you're done. hundred percent done. Mm. God, I wish there's a way to... F- there should be like a bum fights with this scenario or something. Bum fights. <laughs> you remember that show? Do I ever? Oh my God. Oh. Here we go. Eight reasons why knives excel. <laughs> He's over there looking up fucking stats. In close quarters. And this is just close quarters. Okay. Here we go. The 20, 21 foot rule. 
Law enforcement has long relied on the 21-foot rule, which posits that an assailant wielding a knife can cover 21 feet in the time it takes to draw and fire a gun. Boom. 21 feet. That's a lot. This rule underscores the immense pressure on somebody trying to draw a firearm in such situations. Recent, recent research from Minnesota State University suggests that actual distance covered can exceed 21 feet, making it essential to equip officers with edge tools as viable alternatives. No line of fire. Firearms require a clear line of fire to be effective, a luxury seldom found in close quarters. In contrast, knives can be tactically deployed with precision in various ways, minimizing risk of missing the target. If you miss. In cinematic depictions, in your movie example, individuals miraculously manage to draw and fire a gun in the nick of time to thwart an attack. Real-life encounters, however, often feature fast-moving adversaries who can close in too rapidly for a drawn gun to be effective. Even if you manage to fire, there's no guarantee hitting your assailant, rendering you defenseless as they encroach. Uh, ammunition, knives are always loaded, whereas guns, you know, safety may not be loaded, you have to load the clip, whatever. It's much easier to learn how to use a knife than a gun. No warning. If a knife is pulled out, it's swift and silent. That's all I needed to hear. There's two more, but they don't really matter. All I'll say, this is an FBI poll. I had to go and look at a little information myself. And just of homicides in general, a few years ago when they did this, there was 14,000 across the United States. 64 or 6350 were done with handguns and 1476 were done with knives. So I think one is definitely a more effective killing instrument. Wait, what was the what was the statistic? Fourteen thousand homicides. Six thousand three hundred and sixty-five hand were handgun related. Uh, another three hundred and sixty-four were rifle, but people really aren't carrying rifles on them. One thousand four hundred and seventy-six were used knives or cutting instruments were used. So one is mm. definitely more. One gets the job done about yeah. five times better than the other one. Yeah. No, yeah, well, I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. Well, I hope we never have to test that in real life. I hope so. But if we do, if we do, I I, I would choose a knife. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's get the picks really quick before we get out of here because... Real quick, real quick. Your boy's been dominating. Yeah, you really have. <laughs> uh, where are you at? It's actually not that big. I've got you by seven games for the whole season. It's 47 to 40 right now. So there's right, plenty of time left. That's enough. Um, okay, real quick, rapid fire. Thursday, Kansas City hosting Denver. Uh, ten and a half points. Ten and a half points. I'm going Kansas City, though. Kansas City probably covers that ten and a half all day. Baltimore is in Tennessee, and they are three and a half point favorites in Tennessee. That's a tough. Baltimore one. is a good team, but they're not world beaters right now. Yeah, they're, they're not vulnerable. And I like Tennessee with those points at home. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Atlanta is at home against Washington. They are two and a half point favorites. Atlanta's three and two. Washington's two and three. Uh, but, but, but this game, I don't like. I don't like this game. Why don't I like this game? I don't. Atlanta showed me something last week, man. That Ritter dude is is a legit he's quarterback. Solid. Yeah, he's solid. Uh, yeah, and he so, doesn't but so lose is Washington's quarterback. It's true, but I'm just going to go off Ritter. He's never lost a home game in college or in in the pro uh, so far. So I'm going to just bank on that one. Right. Bijan Robinson's take, clicking. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Uh, I'm going to take Washington. Okay. Uh, Detroit is in Tampa Bay. They are three and a half point favorites on the road. Look, Tampa Bay is not a pushover. They're not. Detroit puts up a ton of points, but Tampa Bay is not a pushover. Three and a half points is kind of small. So give me Detroit to cover. Yes, sir. Lions all day, okay. baby. Top three team Cleveland. in the NFC right now. With they're their what now? The top three team in the NFC right now. Wow. Niners, Eagles, them. And enjoy. But Tampa is the I think the fourth or the fifth. So yeah. like yeah, it'll be a good yeah. game. It's rare, this is rare for Detroit. Enjoy it. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, yeah. Cleveland is uh, hosting San Francisco. San Francisco is four and a half point favorites. How is the spread not bigger, Frank? I'm asking the same question. So Vegas thinks it's going to be close. But Deshaun's still hurt, right? He's not coming back. I don't know. Their backup's awful. I don't know. Cleveland's got a really good defense. They do. Um, and they can get home against Brock Purdy. So four and a half points. <laughs> San Francisco definitely wins this game. Mm-hmm. But do they win it by by a touchdown or do they win it by a field goal? That's the question. I got them by 10, bro. I'm taking the, by 10? I'm taking the Niners, yeah. Give me Cleveland. All right. You got to make up those points somehow. I do. The <laughs> spread scares me. <laughs> New Orleans is in Houston. Houston, sneaky good mm-hmm. team. Stroud's averaged 300 yards passing in every single game he's been in this year. Man, it's crazy. Bet Carolina, Carolina's pissed right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. For oh. real. <laughs> All right. Well, oh. and New, I mean New Orleans. I don't know, man. They're just they're they're shaky. Mm-hmm. They, they beat the shit out of the Patriots, but but who hasn't? Mm, Give me Houston. One and a half home. points. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a pick 'em. I'll take Houston. Miami hosting. Uh, oh, there's Carolina. 
13 and a half that's, point favorites at home. And that's not even the All biggest day, spread dude. this week, bro. All day. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I almost never take that kind of spread, but Miami just, they just put up points, dude. That's just what they do. Yeah. Carolina is not going to stop them. Best offense in the NFL through five weeks in history. By far. In like by NFL far. history. They broke the Rams yeah. record this week. Yeah, ridiculous. Cincinnati, home against Seattle. Mm. Two and a half point favorites. Uh, Seattle for me. Yeah, Rocky man. Seattle. I agree. I just, something's off. I mean, obviously it's his calf, but yeah. something's off with him. Um, Jacksonville is hosting Indy. It's, it's a divisional game, but to me, this is like lock of the week territory for Jacksonville. Agree. Just, Jacksonville just, yeah, they don't have, picks them apart. Yeah. And Indy doesn't have their quarterback and yeah, then nothing's going right for Indy right now. Chicago hosting Minnesota. They're two and a half point underdogs. Chicago at home. Are they clicking? Chicago? They, they score points. They score points. No. Are they clicking right now? Mm. They seemed they seemed pretty good last week. Minnesota's just I mean, they're just kind of like flailing. They're desperate. They'll probably make a lot of mistakes. Chicago doesn't have a running back though. Minnesota still has a pretty solid defense, somewhat. I don't know. They're one and four though. I, I can't really even say that. Yeah. On paper, they have a good defense. I'm taking Chicago. Are you? Yeah, I'm taking Chicago. I think I'm gonna uh, I think I'm gonna go Minnesota on this one just because I have low no faith in the Bears. I, I dude, he he Justin Fields turned it on, man. It, it only took him definitely did. fucking like 15 some NFL games to get a 300 yard passing game, but <laughs> finally happened. But I, I don't, it's hard because no Justin Jefferson, right? It's like, I could see the Bears winning this game at home, but one in four divisional game. Minnesota's a good one in four. It, yeah, that's Chicago, yeah. Chicago is a really bad one in four. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to take the Vikings. Uh, Vegas hosting New England. Dude, New England sucks. It's weird. They suck. They do. They just can't get anything right on offense. I mean, they look they look like a JV team, mm-hmm. which is really which is really interesting for a Bill, Bill Belichick team. But they do. They, they snaps are off. Uh, people running the wrong routes. Uh, interceptions abound. Uh, Zappy's gone into the game two weeks in a row because he's getting blown out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, Vegas is. I mean, they're not like they're not great. They're not great. But I'm going to take them anyway. Say, Green Bay is not a bad team though, and. Green Bay? They're not bad. They're not g- who are you talking about? great. But uh, uh, talking Green about Bay is who lost to Vegas this week. Like, oh, I think yeah, Vegas, they're okay. they like took they're care of business. The pack. They're whatever. Yeah, I think Vegas wins this one though at home. Okay, I, I agree, and I think they I think they covered the three and a half. Um, Rams are hosting Arizona. They're a six and a half point favorite, a touchdown favorite basically. Arizona's kind of th- mm. yeah. Give me the Rams. I'm a, yeah. Give me the Rams to cover at home. Cups back. Their their offense was clicking last week for sure. I got faith. Uh, Philly is in Philadelphia. Eagles are in New York, and they're six and a half point favorites on the road in the Meadows. That's easy money. Um, the Jets are playing slightly better, but it's like they're the Jets, you know. That's easy money, bro. That Philly yeah. is, is just starting to click, Philly. man. And they're five and zero. Oh. Like their offense was not doing it the beginning part of the season, and they're finally piecing it together. Yeah. So Buffalo are fourteen and a half point favorites uh, against the Giants. In Buffalo, uh, last time I I went against Buffalo in a spread this high, they were playing the Raiders at home and they just completely destroyed them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna not make that mistake again. For what this um, is worth, do you know what FPI is? Uh, no, I think it's Fantasy Points Index. Oh, okay. But as far as like total output from a team, Buffalo is the number one team in the NFL right now. Oh, Record doesn't reflect that, but um, so I, I got faith in them. They've they've been putting up numbers, man. Oh yeah, even though they haven't been winning everything, but. Um, and then game of the week, Monday night football, Dallas Cowboys against the Los Angeles chargers. Chargers are at home, but really they're not. Yeah. Uh, there'll be as many Dallas fans as there are charger fans. Dallas is two and a half point favorites. Um, I don't know what to think about Dallas this year. Everyone thinks that they have the best defense. I, I don't know. They, they've kind of shit the bed a couple times. Um, yeah, that being said, this is the chargers. Chargers games are interesting because it's usually a really close game and the Chargers find a way to lose at the end. So two and a half points scares me to take. I think Dallas wins. I don't think the Chargers win this game. Um, But the two and a half points scare me. So I'm going to take the Chargers and the two and a half. And I imagine that they lose by less than three. Give me Dallas in a bounce back game that I think that they need to win after the embarrassment they just suffered. Like with yeah. the defense that they have, they gave up like 42 points. That's right. I mean, it's a great team. The Niners, I think, are the best team in the NFL right now, but still, you can't be giving up 42. But also, right. when your quarterback throws fucking three picks to him or whatever it was, it's like <laughs> you're on the field the whole game. What are you going to do? So, exactly. I got, I got faith in Dallas. All right, cool. And those are your picks. Well, 
Thanks for joining us, everyone. It's been a great episode this week. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, send us an email at bummerdo.media at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Friendship News Hour and on Twitter at Friendship NH. It would mean the world to us if you'd go and give us a review on any platform that we have, uh, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Pandora, as my mom listens on it, I believe. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> uh, but that, that would mean a lot. It helps us get in front of new eyes that haven't seen us before once those we get more and more ratings. So if you love us, show us some love, please. And You're here. we'll see you next week.